fundamentally what it came down to was very different from our initial vision for Hubble, which was essentially having the office as, and real estate as a fully variable cost and the use case for office being exactly what Dan was talking about earlier, which is activity-based working. What do I need physical space for? You're listening to This Much I Know, the Siege Camp Podcast. Hello, everyone. I wanted to kick it off with some very inspiring stories from two friends, Dan and Tushar. Very interesting story. I won't ruin the punchline. We'll reserve that for the second half of the podcast. So please stay tuned. But let's kick off with the way that we always do, which is learning a little bit more about the individuals, what got them to what they're building and what they're doing. Let's kick off with you, Tushar. Tell us a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey before you started what you're working on today, Hubble. Sure. Thank you for having me on, Carlos. Really appreciate it. So yeah, I started off as a London School of Economics graduate, and I did what pretty much a third of London School of Economics graduates do, which is go into investment banking. After spending a couple of years doing that, I decided that it was time for a change and I was looking for a way out. I felt that it wasn't a career that was suited to what I wanted to do. And actually I'd learned a lot whilst I was there. And I just started noticing in particular a few trends that led me to actually leave banking and start what Hubble is today. We were essentially advising some of the largest companies in the world on capital raisings. So they would come to us and say, hey, guys, we need to raise debt or equity or we need to do something. How should we go about it? And my job as an analyst was to look at their balance sheets, look at their accounts and be able to figure out how they would go do that. And one of the trends that I kept seeing over and over again was that lots of these large companies had huge amounts of real estate liabilities sitting on their balance sheet. So they had a huge amount of office space, retail space, warehouse space. And over time, depending on what sector they were in, their usage and utilization of that was reducing. One of the largest retailers in the UK was one of our clients. They had a portfolio of 700 stores across the country, and actually only about 80% of them were open. 20% of them were just shut. We had professional services firms who had a huge amount of office space all around the world. And actually their utilization of that office space was reducing by about 10, 15% every year. And so if you did the calculations, if they were able to actually reduce their footprint of commercial real estate, they could actually free up a huge amount of capital, which would mean that they don't need to go to the external markets to raise debt or equity. The reason that was happening in most sectors was due to digital transformation. So essentially, you had professional services firms that were outsourcing more and more, offshoring more and more, and using more and more freelancers. You had retailers who were trying to compete more and more online and within e-commerce. And the structural issue that I found there was that a commercial real estate lease on average was 15 to 20 years. And actually the cost and hassle of restructuring that lease and making it vaguely flexible was almost impossible to the point where these guys didn't want to spend the money to go do that. They'd much rather go to the capital markets and raise more money than trying to address that particular issue. And on the flip side, we were also dealing with much smaller companies who were trying to get access to space. I had a bunch of friends who were trying to start new businesses, wanted access to retail space. Can I rent this office front for three months? I had friends starting startups who wanted office space for six months to a year for a growing team. They couldn't do it because they had to go sign up for a 10, 15 year lease. Extrapolating that trend out, what I started to realize was that fundamentally there's a big structural issue in one of the largest asset classes on the planet. It's a $22 trillion asset class. And fundamentally, there is no longer product market fit what their customers want. And there's a huge amount of larger corporates who want more flexibility. And there's a huge amount of small businesses that are being enabled by technology that want access to that space, but can't get access to that space. And no one was talking about it. 
But this was something that I just kept seeing over and over and over again. And I eventually ended up quitting my job, joining Entrepreneur First and exploring that problem set in a lot more depth. Excellent. I presume that you met your co-founder at EF. Yes, I did. So we went through a lot of co-founder dating at EF and Tom and I ended up settling down as a match. And actually the main reason for that match was more personality types. We would find that every time we went to an EF hackathon or an event, the two of us would still be in the pub three or four hours later talking about craft beers and rap music. And we just became friends and we just happened to have complementary skill sets. That was how we ended up founding a business together. Awesome. Well, before I hand it over to Dan, do the elevator pitch of what Hubble does today. Hubble is a SaaS-enabled marketplace for hybrid working. We essentially have a marketplace to rent office space on a flexible basis, whether that's by the hour, by the day, by the week, or by the year. That's connected to software for employers to be able to configure their right mix of office space, manage that, and optimize that over time. And also tooling for office providers to be able to essentially deal with huge amount of fractional demand that's coming their way. So that's what we are today. And even the word hybrid is a very new word, which we can talk about later. Excellent. Well, Dan, I'd love to hear your story now. Thanks for having me. Founded a company about eight years ago now. Grew up building technology and my granddad was the designer of the launch mechanism for fighter jets and aircraft carriers. And my dad was a shopkeeper and a musician. So grew up with this kind of weird mix of music and engineering was always fascinated by connecting things. And so he used to love the film. If you guys remember the film, The Goonies, there was this guy called Tech that used to set these traps. And so he'd love it. change change something over here and then a mile down the road some door would close and used to love that idea and so I remember as a kid just being fascinated with the idea of hey if you change this thing here what does that mean if you change that thing there had old computers from dad's work and stuff and so I remember as a kid I built Dropbox basically at home before Dropbox existed so we'd have all of our files as a family on one computer it's called network attached storage now but so regardless of what laptop we're using or whatever all of our homework or There may have been a few shared movies on there, all in one central place. And so love the idea of always connecting things. My wife and I went traveling in 2012. Uh, We went from South America around to India and was just coming up with all sorts of business ideas. And these business ideas were off the back of some work that I was doing in London. So I worked for a large church in London. I looked after the music but also headed up the technology team. And we just built a $10 million extension project on this church where I headed up all the audio, visual, tech, IT, network, et cetera. And loved the idea, again, of being able to sit in my little office and control all these things in this building over there. And as we were traveling around the world, kept on coming up with these business ideas. And I noticed that my interests, my personal interests actually started to change from that music and the work that I was doing before, much more into this, hey, how can I create a connected web? At that time, devices that speak to each other. And then today, Cadence is really following on that same theme, this idea of connective tissue, if you will, of, hey, if this thing changes here, what can we change over there? We're essentially building an operating system, hybrid working. And we believe that there's never been a time like this in history where there's been such a dramatic change in the way the world works. And hybrid means so many different things to so many different people. Uh, And we believe that companies that can make hybrid work will outperform those that don't. 
And it's really, really hard to be good at hybrid. We're making that easy. So that's a little bit about how I got to this place, fascinated by connecting things and then making and creating a shared consciousness so that the tools do the heavy lifting, not just us as people. Because we've all lived through the last year and a half figuring this out as entrepreneurs, I think pretty much everyone has a view now what hybrid means and what work from home means. And, and even though not everybody's figured it out perfectly, everyone's pretty much a black belt in it or has an opinion. Even within that, though, there's still quite a bit of thought leadership that you guys probably have on the subject across multiple of the organizations that hire you for your services. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to explore that now that everybody's like rethinking their office for 2022 and thinking about how other people are doing it. I wanted to explore it more from that perspective. One question that we can kick things off with is what is the shift of total annual budget percentage-wise pre and post? And what are you seeing now people allocate as a budget for real estate? Because I know that, for example, I look at the seed cap spend and the amount that has gone to real estate has changed pre and post COVID, right? And so I just wanted to get a sense from you guys what the best practices are at the moment in terms of allocated percentage of the total budget to that. And how are people thinking about that spend? Tushar, if you want to start. Yeah, I think spend is really at the crux of this entire problem, right? So office spend is typically the second highest fixed cost for most knowledge-based businesses after salaries. And really the, the entire existential crisis, especially for the property industry recently has been around, well, what happens if that income gets disrupted or what happens if that income is now suddenly variable from being fixed? Since the beginning of Hubble, our vision and what we felt the world will go towards is essentially the same thing that happened to physical servers. So people used to have physical service space within their office blocks. That was a fixed cost that you had to basically take on a huge amount of upfront costs for and then pay over time. Then cloud came along and your server cost became fully variable. We believe that's really where the world will eventually end up, where you'd essentially subscribe to your real estate. Why would you subscribe to one building on a 10, 15 year basis when you can subscribe to access to real estate as and when you need it? I think that's really where it's going. And we work was essentially, I'd say, step one towards making that, that a reality. In terms of budget, the picture is really mixed, right? Pre-COVID, the assumption was most knowledge-based businesses go and work in an office Monday to Friday with most of their staff there with some flexibility around the fringes. And I think post-COVID, what has happened, and this is the most surprising to most people, is that pretty much every business is taking a different view to how important headquarters spaces to them, how important on-demand spaces to them, and how important it is to invest into the home working experience, even within the same sector. So you have someone like Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan who are very office-based, and their spend will probably remain exactly the same. Then you have someone within finance like Citigroup or UBS who is enabling more and more hybrid working, and they're essentially diverting some of their existing existing office budget into improving home working and on-demand access, but there's probably a net saving now, probably about 15 to 20%. I, it's hard for me to give an aggregate figure. I think in general, probably a third of office costs is an aggregate figure that we've looked at before, but the picture is extremely different. Just because you reduce office spend doesn't mean that budget isn't reallocated elsewhere. So if you were spending 500 pounds per person per month in London, which is the standard for a desk rate, you may be now still paying 500 pounds per month per person, because essentially that budget for you wasn't a real estate cost. It was an employee hiring and retention cost to make them happy. You may be then splitting that 500 pounds into maybe 200 pounds of HQ cost to give them access to a desk in your HQ. You may be spending £100 and giving them access to on-demand workspace, maybe £100 in improved work-from-home experiences, and maybe you save 100 quid. So, so I think it's very, very different for every business. Just one quick comment on that. Tushar, it sounds like, although there are some organizations that reduce their overall cost associated with 
real estate that overall it looks like more of a transference from the left hand to the right hand with other stuff. So I was going to ask you, Dan, A, if you agree with that assessment just from your experience and B, being that you love tech from the Goonies, I would love to hear if there is that additional spend that's going to other things, what the tech stack looks like for managing these organizations. What are the tools that you're seeing most commonly used? I totally agree. And the stats are staggering. There's $25 trillion of annual employee salaries that are moving to hybrid right now. And there's $22 trillion of office real estate total that's moving to hybrid. So the stats are just absolutely staggering. We're seeing two types of customers. We're seeing customers that have expanded during COVID and keeping their same office space, but they're making it work harder for them. So think of like an airline that for every 100 seats, they'll sell 115 seats. So they're oversubscribing their spaces. And then they're using load balancing tools like Cadence in order to make it work for them. There's the other type of company, as Tisha was just talking about, some of the large banks, for example, we know two in New York, and one of them is reducing their deaths by 40%. One of them is reducing their deaths by 49%. And I'd add another bucket for spend that it's going in. It's going into off-site. So we're seeing a lot of off-sites happen um, where companies are actually booking up whole hotels in Vegas for off-sites for a few days, for example. So... That's one of the buckets. For us and where Cadence is skating towards is that it's all getting back to atomic principles. Why are we doing what we're doing? Why are we doing the work? And the way we think about it at Cadence is, if you can imagine a pyramid with me, at the bottom of this pyramid, you've got, why am I working? Like That's your mission, your values. You've then got, what am I working on? That's your objectives, your key results. You then got, how am I going to do that work? And that's the toolkit layer. Like that's where you've got tools like Slack and Zoom and Teams and, and Cadence. And then on top of that, you've got when, where, and who. So why am I working? What am I working on? How am I going to do that work? And then when, where, and who. And in the past, all of that used to sit on the office. Like the center of gravity was on the office. Now the center of gravity, we believe, is moving to people and projects. And the office actually moves into that how layer, to that toolkit layer. And you choose to employ the office for what the furniture industry and the architect industry calls activity-based work. And so you choose to employ the office for types of work that make the most sense. And that's when I think about the tech stack. Ultimately, I believe that tools like Monday.com, Asana, they're missing right now the people and the spaces elements that need to happen for people to get on the OS for hybrid, if that makes sense. So those are some of the tools that I think companies need to stack up on as, as they think about hybrid going forward. That's cool. I hadn't really thought about it that way. It's, it's, a, it's a very cool way. It actually makes me rethink even some of the Seedcam stuff. What, what am I employing the office? If I think of it as like an enabler, as I would Asana or whatever. It loans itself nicely to some of the stuff that Tushar is doing as well. Although it probably creates a nightmare for real estate owners who depend on stability of cash flow to pay rent and whatnot. Do you see on that point with the need and the just-in-time need, do you see a friction point there, Tushar? Is it going to be like the collapse of the commercial real estate market? Are you going to become the de facto landlord because nobody else can do micro-licensing of this employee called the office? So how does that play out long-term? I think it's an incredibly challenging macro story for a typical office landlord and office investor. If you think about it from an investor perspective, most of our pension funds 
are sitting in huge amount of commercial real estate investments. AXA itself is one of the largest landlords in the UK, and that's where a huge amount of our pensions are sitting. They rely on bond-like income from 25-year office leases from blue-chip corporates, right, to essentially meet their liabilities and meet the valuation. As soon as that is under threat, the entire system of valuation, the entire system of financing a building starts to crumble. And that started to happen already with the arrival of the flexible office brands like WeWork and the likes. But the way that that was addressed initially was they would take on the risk profile. So WeWork would go take on the 25-year lease and the landlord is still protected. Now what we're seeing is actually a disruption of even the flex office with what we call super flex, which is they rely on income on a monthly basis, six monthly basis, an annual basis, which is a typical flex workspace contract. Now people are even shunning those and saying, no, 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 we just want to access this space on a weekly basis, this space on an on-demand basis, and this space on an hourly basis. So that's all we want to do. You can shove your 12-month contract. So they are now trying to respond to this, you know, a disruption of their model as well. So I think it's incredibly challenging. You need a huge amount of data, you need analytics, and you actually need a lot of software because the overheads and managing essentially a higher velocity within the market and the average size of transaction going down significantly. It sounds basically like a hotel optimization or an airline optimization model where you have like each seat in every flight costs something different depending on the time of day, year, month, and everything. And then having all that software that was built for the airline industry transferred into the commercial real estate market and then mapping with that tools like Cadence to help manage that all. Yeah. And I think that just to show sort of how different that is, only about 3% of total office space on the entire planet pre-COVID was flexible. So 97% of office landlords were basically relying on 5, 10, 15, 20-year leases and they're now having to adapt to figure out how they're going to go from providing space on a 20-year basis to a 20-minute basis. So it's cognitively very difficult transformation to understand because it's just so damn large. And that's really where this is going now. It is. But at the same time, like there's a parallel to it, which is around the, the airline industry, as I said, or the hospitality industry, because they've had to sort that out, right? Like you book it with an airline, you book a seat for an hour, in effect. So it's an interesting time for the future. But Talking about the future, the past is also a way to learn. And I think one of the things that I told the audience that I wanted to cover before we go too far down this path of the future of real estate is how you guys got here. And, and the reason why I wanted to cover that was because it's part of your story, but it's also equally inspiring for founders who are going through a difficult time. And I know COVID treated you guys very differently as businesses. I'm going to pick on you first, Dan. What I'm trying to figure out is the advice that you would give. Maybe tell a little bit of that narrative to got you to where Cadence is today, because you used to be called Chargeify. Walk through that story. What happened? What were the trigger points and the advice that you would give founders to get to where you've gotten to today. Yeah. So as you mentioned, we used to have a business called Chargeify, which we were running for seven years. That was a much deeper tech company than a SaaS company like we are today. We did hardware enabled SaaS. And we basically had a wireless charging business that was trying to be Cisco for wireless charging. What that means is that we would work with companies like Accenture or Okta. We'd put wireless charging into their desks, into their meeting rooms in their offices. 
And then the IoT element back to the Goonies story was that you put your phone on the wireless charger and it would recognize that it was Dan and it would check me into that hot desk. Or you put your phone on the wireless charger in the meeting room, it'd recognize that it was Dan, it would do a calendar lookup and launch my Zoom call. And so we had that product in 22 countries around the world. We'd raise a bunch of venture capital for it. We had strategic investors from here in the Valley and we were going to be Cisco for that space. Fast forward the pandemic, nobody cared when offices shut down. And so how does a wireless charging product that's in offices work? And we essentially saw sales go to zero pretty much overnight. And we found ourselves, you know, we even had customers renege on purchase orders as well, which was particularly challenging as a hardware company at the time and taking stock and all of that kind of stuff. What we did have, though, is that we figured out that we had software that basically controlled hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of desks. And so as we're speaking to our customers, they're like, hey, can we use your software? We're never going to use our desk like we have before. We're going to reduce our desk by 49% in some cases we've been speaking with. Can we use your software to manage those desks? Because we've got basically a map of our office now with the desks that you've got on the Chargeify platform. And so we started speaking with scheduling companies in order to essentially marry their scheduling tools with what we had from a, a management perspective over these desks. And everybody wanted to do it, but we we're at the back of everybody's roadmap. And so for two or three months, we found ourselves completely reliant upon partners and integrations to get a sale done. And then there was a day I remember in July 2020, when we just brought on an SVP from WeWork onto our advisory board. And I texted him and my VP of sales on the same day. And we'd all had the same idea. Hey, how hard can this be? <laughs> Let's go build it ourselves. And so over the course of three months, we doubled the product and engineering team and basically tried to get our first MVP out of this product. And by the end of 2020, we built a pipeline of about 100 companies that were looking for a product like this. And the key breakthrough in the product insight was that this wasn't about facilities management and space management. This was about people, and projects and schedules that happened to meet in a variable space, be that virtually or physically. And the name change from Chargeify to Cadence was basically a, a realization that we were trying to help people establish a rhythm, establish that cadence that works for them, because it's been a slaughterhouse of overscheduling and burnout, quite honestly, for this all remote pandemic, all remote setup. And we, we help people find their own cadence, but also discover the cadence of others. So being able to find the marketing team's cadence or the product team's cadence and follow along and tag along to those things as well. So that's a little bit about it, but it's night and day, Carlos, from building a deep tech company to wait for years that we knew would happen, but we were waiting on to happen to waking up with emails full of HubSpot leads and basically going to product market fit overnight after seven years. It was just a ride. I would do all over again, but I'd have even less hair. Mm, you get no sympathy from me, mate. No sympathy. <laughs> Before I transition to you, Tushar, to ask you the same question, I'm going to ask you both, after you're done, Tushar, I'm going to ask you the same question, which is going deeper into that decision point where you let go of your left hand to grab onto something new with your right hand. So if you want to cover that as part of your answer as well, Tushar, feel free. But it's basically your story as to where you ended up with Hubble today. There's always a point when you have to let go of something and notify everyone, notify your investors and shareholders. So we'll come back to you on that one, Dan. But Tushar, 
Tell us your story. Yeah, what a story. I actually don't think our story was as dramatic as it stands. I view ours as more of an evolution with how the market changed than, than having to fully pivot. But what the journey for us was that, you know, up until March 2020, we'd become London's largest online marketplace for renting flexible office space. That meant something completely different pre-COVID. That essentially meant that you weren't signing up to five to 10 year lease. You could rent space for three month basis, six month basis, 12 month basis. And typically our average contract length was about 10 months. When COVID hit, we were actually in the middle of a funding round with probably about four months of cash left. And all of a sudden you have a pandemic, you have a lockdown, there's a huge amount of panic and pretty much, you know, we were doing zero business all of a sudden from one week to the next. Our business levels as a marketplace business had dropped 95%. And they kind of stayed at that level probably for about six, seven months. And the other problem that we had was that we had a team of 60 people who were all great, but we only had four months of cash left with no real prospect of generating more revenue. And the investor community as well at that point in time was also spooked by COVID. We were all trying to figure this out. And I think, you know, Sequoia sent out that memo, which was sort of batting the hatches, make sure you've got enough cash, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, we went to our board and we had a conversation of, you know, what should we do now? And really number one was survive. And so we ended up having to cut the team from about 60 people down to nine people. We did have furlough at that point in time, so that was helpful, but that was a, a very, very deep cut. And that gave us a little bit of optionality, a little bit of cash to figure out where the hell the world was going. And whilst we did that, this whole debate kicked up, which was back to the office, work from home, and it became very, very tribal, and it became very aggressive. And I found it absolutely fascinating, because it was literally the largest piece of customer research and customer feedback on the office industry ever undertaken, because every single person had a lived experience and an opinion on whether they preferred to work from the office, work from home, wherever it was. And fundamentally, wherever you lie on that, it became very black and white and there was no room for gray. And we started to figure out, okay, well, what's the actual truth here? So what we did is we did what we've always done is go back to customers, go back to a lot of our businesses, HR directors, COOs, CFOs, trying to figure out what they're thinking and went back to our office customers and figure out what they're thinking. And what fundamentally changed was that the office went from being something that was de facto standard for most businesses into nearly every single business trying to figure out what they were going to do. And nearly all of them had thrown out the concept of going back to the office full time as an actual option. So the question was, what are we going to do and where is everyone going to work and how is that all going to work? And the office providers were having the, the same problem. We were running out of cash pretty quickly, even though we had those deep cuts. And I started to build out a thesis of what the world looks like when every single person on the planet has a different opinion on where they want to work every day of the week and how that sort of aggregates at a team level and organization level. Fundamentally, what it came down to was very different from our initial vision for Hubble, which was essentially having the offices and real estate as a fully variable cost and the use case for office being exactly what Dan was talking about earlier, which is activity-based working. What do I need physical space for? And we found that it came down to three C's. One was we need physical space to meet clients because we need to meet face-to-face -to, -face to get deals done. And if we don't do it, our competitors will do it. The second thing was collaboration. People still wanted face-to-face -face collaboration. And the third was culture. So culture is thrown around as a big buzzword. But what we mean by that is essentially people wanting to form deeper bonds with their colleagues and even their clients. And in-person meeting would allow that, but you don't need to be with the same person five days a week in order to have a bond with them. What we ended up doing was 
presenting an entire thesis of where the world is going. And this was around June or July 2020, when the world was still in chaos. And essentially how hybrid working or the flexibility, autonomy and choice of every employee in where they wanted to work would actually massively accelerate the flexible office market and essentially lead to a huge amount of fragmentation and demand, which would ultimately be a massive, massive um, accelerant for the trend that we were already on, which was around, you know, 3% of office space flexible. That was meant to be 13% by 2030. And analysts started to predict it's going to be 30% by 2030, right? Huge amount of change. So we went back with that thesis saying, this is probably, whilst it's the worst thing that could have happened to the business in the short term, is probably the single best thing that could happen to the business in the long term because our market size has just exploded. But we do need to change our proposition and product set to make sure that we capture the sentiment of what's going on at the moment. So what we did is that we essentially created um, products that would allow businesses to figure out by serving their employees and the employer what sort of real estate that they needed, what sort of blend would it be between HQ on demand at home, then essentially connect that to a marketplace of long-term HQ space, which is still flexible, but also on-demand access for employees, as well as being able to sort of invest more and more work-from-home solutions. We then gave them analytics to be able to understand how that's actually being used and be able to change and optimize that over time. So the reason we need to do that fundamentally, the buyer journey changed. The buyer journey when we were pre-COVID was, I need an office. Hubble, let's get an office. Then the question became, do I need an office? What should the office look like? How big should the office be? Who's going to use it? So we had to go earlier on in that problem set to be able to find solutions there. And fundamentally, the only way you make that work is you've got to work with the office providers to make sure that they can actually provide the product everyone's providing. So we went to the office providers and we said, look, guys, the only way you're going to survive is if you are able to let out space on a daily basis, on a daily, every Wednesday to the same company, on a monthly basis, on an hourly basis, and we'll help you aggregate up a lot of this fragmented demand and get you back into a place where you can get some sort of predictable income and also be able to do it at a high margin with low overheads. So it was an evolution of the product set, but we had to certainly adapt with how the customer profile basically changed overnight to, I need an office to, do I ever need an office and how big should it be? And so this is the past product. This is essentially holistically what the product is, right? When we talk about a SaaS-enabled marketplace, it's a marketplace for office space by the year, by the month, by the week, by mm-hmm. the day. Hubble HQ is certainly long-term office space and Hubble Pass is on-demand workspace. But most of our customers use either one or a blend of the two. Excellent. It sounds like, as you said, it was an evolution. But Dan, I want to come back to you then. And I want to hear that moment because I think for a lot of founders, they may either have an evolution, which is awesome, or they may have a moment like you might have had and I'm extrapolating here a little bit, that you had to sort of get your investors on board. You needed to get your employees on board with the change in vision. And there was a moment when you had to let go of one rope and and grab onto other one. And you might've had some sleepless night to decide, okay, I'm going to give up on something that I've been working on for you know a few years. And, and maybe just tell us that moment. Do you remember even where yeah. you were? Yeah, I, I remember most of all, again, it's similar to the story about going from my previous job traveling and then being excited about something else. I found myself more excited about the opportunity that we had now than I was prior. And But I remember the kindest thing a board member said was, this is really just an evolution of the product. This is really just an evolution, an acceleration into something that you're already doing. Another board member said, pivot, pivot hard, go now. (laughs) And so over the course of a month or so of talking with the board and figuring it all out and with some advisors and the management team, 
we all just became much more excited about the size, the sheer size of this opportunity and the unique position of influence that we had managing hundreds and thousands of desks already gave us a head start to do it. And so we already had a little bit of authority and we weren't coming at it with any of the debt of office management tools that already are reliant upon yesterday's businesses. We went hard after it. We put together some more funding for it. But the thing that I think really got the board and investors you talked about bringing people on was just our high levels of conviction and resilience. We had to let some people go as well. Nobody really left the business and we've been building a deeper tech company for seven years. We next to no churn that whole time. And so the passion that we went at it, and I think the obviously being able to show high customer demand was helpful to make it happen too. But you know, it was hard, right? It was hard. It was emotional for me giving up something that we've been doing for a little while, but the size of the opportunity made it worthwhile. And of course, for any founders over this past and not wanting to make little of it over the past two years, because it's been a full on journey, but you know, we've had air cover of a global pandemic in which to make the change, which is a perfect excuse <laughs> at, at board levels. But yeah, it was gradual. We've obviously kept our existing customers on Chargeify to see out their contracts and, and stuff like that. But we've got nobody focused on that business right now. Everybody else is just full on helping people book desks, book meeting rooms and figure out where, when and who in their workplaces of the future. Thanks for sharing that story, Dan. And, and sort of to wrap things up, we can go back to talking about the future again, since we all love that. The way that I see this playing out to some extent is like the way that you think of a campus as a collection of buildings, which can be used dynamically and require software like Cadence to book and stuff. But the reason why I'm using the word campus versus building is because one building might not have all the attributes that an organization needs. Like one building might be, have been designed for a large centralized workspace post-industrial, you know, because these are historic buildings in some cases. And in other cases, other buildings might have been built for like phone booths. And so you end up having people migrating from one building to another, the way that you do in a school campus. So I'm just curious, like that's my vision of the future that we will be subscribing to campuses coordinated through software in the way that a Google Mountain View campus works. What's your view, Tishar and Dan? That's the really exciting thing for me as well, because I don't necessarily think that this campus has to be completely physical either. Uh, and that's kind of where we're going with Cadence is that this is about projects, people and spaces, and those spaces can be virtual too. And pivoting the company, I wasn't that excited, quite honestly, about going to be doing a booking company. <laughs> but what got me excited and missional about it was the fact that we've inherited offices from an industrial complex. And we haven't really rethought it. Whereas now we have the opportunity to build the future of work, not for the industrial age, but for the connected age. And that I think is a really, really exciting proposition. I've got three young kids, whatever Tushar and I and others create over this next decade will be what the next generation inherits as the future of work for likely 200 years in the same way that we inherited offices from the industrial age. And so that for me is like super, super compelling and missional that we need to get out of this full on remote dystopian and create some sort of blend. And it, that's where the opportunity, I think, is, Carlos, is the, hey, you've got all this choice. How do you navigate all that choice in, in the kind of the campus mode that you mentioned there? I think in terms of talking about the industrial age and the industrial revolution, 
It's interesting you talk about the connected age, Dan, because the way I think about it is that the office floor was a derivative of the factory floor created in the Industrial Revolution. People had to physically go and access equipment in order to get their jobs done, which was impossible otherwise. As soon as that restriction was lifted, we still continue to go to offices because it was just the thing to do. And some people liked it, some people didn't. And I think this is actually the employee revolution. I think there's been a huge amount of uh, shift in power from the employer to the employee, where essentially talent hiring and retention, work, your work-based strategy is now table stakes in being able to hire and retain the right people. You know, about 40% of employees worldwide would rather have the ability to choose where they work than take a pay rise next year. Right. So this is now where this is all going in terms of real estate and campus and those sorts of analogies. The way I really think about it is, like I said to you earlier, the concept of subscribing to one office building on a 25 year basis and nothing else feels absurd. And it has felt absurd for quite a long time. And I think really using that same amount of spend and being able to essentially having a platform revolution there where you can access different types of space for different purposes, for different people at different times to fulfill a specific objective. That's really the future. And that's what I say when we talk about the AWS for workspace. Can you actually replace the office lease with a platform subscription? And I think that's really where we're trying to take Hubble. It's excellent. Lots of food for thought, guys. Really appreciate it. Super exciting. It's left me really inspired to rethink how Seedcamp offices are going to evolve in 2022, since we've had our fair share of having to take phone calls in the hallway situations and, and trying to figure out what we're going to do. With that, guys, thank you so much. And for everyone who's listening, take care and stay tuned to the next episode.